I want to share a little bit about where we're going, and then I want to get where we're going. Um, Here's what we believe, if you're new to Life Center or if you're not new, here's what we do believe, that everything that is broken can be made whole in Christ, and that in Christ, God wants to use our lives being made more whole in Jesus to make a Jesus-sized difference everywhere that we go. And so we believe that every single problem in the world, in particular in the church, can be solved by you and I becoming more like Jesus. And so this is an individual thing, but it's an us thing as well. It's both and, not either or. And here's what hinders most of us, or here's what hinders us most from becoming more like Jesus. It is shallow discipleship. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then I don't expect you to be living into the way of the kingdom. But if you are a follower of Jesus, I mean, I pray the Holy Spirit touches your heart today. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then I want you to become offended maybe at where your discipleship has remained stopped or remained shallow. And here is how I would define shallow discipleship. Enough of Jesus for you or enough of Jesus for heaven but not enough to see heaven on earth. But stopping at you and not you making a Jesus-sized difference in the world in which we live. It is a critical issue in the body of Christ today that I'm gonna state it clearly, and it's for other people, not you, but you, they need to hear this. A critical issue in the church today is the selfishness of followers of Jesus who keep Jesus to themselves. Lori and I, over the last couple of years, have really enjoyed hiking. And when I say hiking, I mean walking outside on flat surfaces in nature. <laughs> Just so you're not like, really? Mm. But we've noticed something when you go to different hiking trails, is that it's the same trail, but it has different levels of difficulty. And so you can go to the same place, and the, you know, there's parents there with buggies and strollers, and, and Lori and I follow them. And then there are real hikers who do real hiking stuff, and we, we bid them adieu. Uh, and off they go. But it's interesting because God creates one thing, but then within that thing, there are different degrees of difficulty to do something. And there's a spiritual principle in that, that it's not about creating just a million different paths. Sometimes it's one path, but with different degrees of difficulty. And inspired by how God creates, we have created something that we're just calling Becoming Heart Strong. And it's a single discipleship pathway for kids, students, young adults, adults, um, one path, different levels of engagement, or shall I say, different levels of difficulty. And to engage it, I just want to give you a few steps, and then we're going to dig in. First thing you can do is you can go to lifecenter.org. We've redesigned it so it's simpler. And uh, right on the homepage, you're going to see this little banner. And on it gives you an opportunity to review the teaching that we're going through and download this thing that we're just called a training plan, thinking of it as like a hiking guide. And there's, in that training plan, there was Bible reading. Each season, we're gonna teach in seasons that are about 11 or 12 weeks long. Uh, each season has a spiritual discipline that we're encouraging you to dig into. This season is Sabbath. And then one of the things is if you, at six o'clock in the morning, we're gonna have a Zoom group, and then at eight o'clock at night. And if you wanna join that, you're gonna need to register. A few things on the training plan, then we're gonna get in first. 
is what we're asking you to do today. Uh, it's a digital download. If you don't do digital downloads, there are limited copies available in the cafe. If we run out, we'll print more for next Sunday. Um, but there's an assessment we want you to take. It's not difficult. It's not pass-fail. It's just for you to assess in this season, how do I let God go a little bit deeper in my life? What does that look like? And so it's three questions we want you to assess this season and then talk about it maybe with other followers of Christ. There's Bible reading that you can journey through with us, you know, chapter and verse. I'll talk more about that in a moment. And then if you are in community with other people or you desire to start a group, there is 11 weeks or 12 weeks of group questions that you can engage. And if you're new to Christ, there's also sections in that that can help you get connected as well. And so again, these are not our savior. They're just some solutions to us going deeper together in Christ. Everyone say, okay. Okay, so let's take the first step on our three-year adventure. Today starts a new day for us that we're in the next three years, starting today, we're gonna preach through the whole Bible, not just topically, chapter and verse. This is different for us, and we start right now. And we're gonna start with a question, and here's the question. And the question's not a popular one, but it's an essential one if we understand the Gospels. Why would Jesus ever set you up to fail? Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus intentionally set you up to fail? I don't mean to embarrass you or I don't mean like a distant father who just wants to scold or teach a lesson. No, not rudely, but why from love would Jesus ever set you up to fail? If God is good, why then does he allow us to fail? Why does he allow us to experience things in this world that we would say that this is tremendously unfair? And this week, you're going to read Matthew chapter 1 to 9 if you journey with us, and I hope you will. And you'll discover, once you hit chapters 5 to 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And as he shared it, you can get the picture that he was surrounded by his disciples. He was surrounded by scribes, teachers of the law, and Pharisees. And then also just people who were curious about who he was. Could he be the Messiah? He was healing people, so that was drawing people. So all of these things were drawing people to listen to what Jesus has to say. And if you read the scriptures, if you read Matthew chapters 1 to 9 this week, honestly, you're going to arrive at a single conclusion. You can't do this. You can't do this. In fact, in in the time of Jesus, the most ardent, those who most thought that they were nailing this, that they could really, really do this, were known as Pharisees or teachers of the law. Now, I want you to listen to what Jesus says, not to them, but to everyone that day, including them. Here's what he says. And if some of you have ever heard, thought, or said, I like the God of the New Testament, I don't really jive with the God of the Old Testament. You have a problem with Jesus. Because listen to what he says, not me, he. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, and this is the jaw dropper, unless your righteousness exceeds, <laughs> Those of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless your following exceeds those who are most ardent, 
you will never even enter the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now let's start at the end and work our way through. Turn the person beside you and say, he is gonna get to hope, isn't he? <laughs> yes, this is actually really good news. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Or he says, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, here's what I want you to know about the person delivering the message. He has been since the beginning. And so he has seen and knows what the heart of the Father was for humanity and where humanity is. He knows not just the problems of the day, but the root cause of sin that is beneath every individual and societal and systemic problem in the world today. And if Jesus comes along and he relaxes one iota or one, one element of the law, there's a problem. But this God who is full of compassion, he gets what humanity doesn't get. He gets the damage that sin wreaks on the human soul. He gets it profoundly. In fact, it is the penalty that he has come to pay in full so that you and I might go free. And so before giving us his kingdom perspective on murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, vengeance, loving your enemies, giving to the needy, prayer, fasting, treasures in heaven, anxiety, judging others, asking God, life direction, true and false prophets, discipleship, and how to build a life, Jesus first shares what he will not do. Pause. I wish wonder sometimes. Lori and I were having a conversation last week, or yeah, I think it was last week, and we were just asking ourselves this question and talking about it. Like, if we really, really see sin as uniting with darkness, why are we kind to it in our lives? Why, why then do we know where it is permissible? Are we casual with it? We were just having a conversation. It was one of those really light conversations. It was really affirming. But it was deep conversation that we were having one with another. And here's what Jesus says, because he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, not from experience, but from watching nations rise and fall and shipwreck one another, not because of just the issues between them, but their failure to do, to, to address the issue beneath the issue, which was their heart condition before God. To not follow in the way of God. Here's what Jesus says he will not do. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus won't lower the bar because if he does, he is not holy, he is not just, and he is not good, and therefore he is not God. And he has introduced a contradiction between the God of Genesis and the God that we see in him, in Christ, in Matthew. And let's be clear, the problem in the world then and today is not the law. The psalmist said it well in Psalm 19, verse seven, the law of the Lord is perfect, it's blameless. It's blameless, it's reviving the soul. No, the issue isn't the law, the issue it shows, the law just shows us one thing, it's none of us can keep it. In fact, the 10 commandments, we can't keep the first one. There will be no other God before or for me. That is a beautiful worship song that we can sing and we can amplify and we can shout and we can do all those things. The problem is many of us have other gods before God. And that doesn't make you a bad person, that just makes you human. And this is what Jesus is driving at. This is why sometimes from love, 
He leads us into failure so that we can see it is a false god that we are worshiping. Oh, we wouldn't use the word worship, but it's precisely what we do. That's something other than Jesus is Lord and he leads us here in love. So into this space, and I mean, I don't know if I can communicate it well, that Jesus has this crowd in front of us and if he had read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, he would never have given this message. In fact, he would have started off with like a better one. Like I'm here to give you life and have it more abundant. Start there, people like that. (laughs) Don't start with blessed are the bankrupt in their spirituality. Don't start with blessed are the poor in spirit. I I, I can just imagine the collective sigh. I I don't even know if I can articulate like how much of a sigh that must have meant like you're doing all these incredible things that only the Messiah could do and you're gonna overcome Rome and blessed are the poor in spirit. What? It's like walking into a political rally that is charged, that's blamed the other side and is winning and you get up on the stage and go, they're not the problem. You're getting booed off that stage. Jesus steps up and says, no, 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 they're not the problem. I want to talk to you about a deeper one. As you read the book of Matthew, here's what you're going to see. It's going to begin with a whole bunch of names. And Jesus is a very common name, by the way, amongst the Jewish people of the day. It's why he was known as Jesus of Nazareth, to define, like, that's who he is. This is where he's from. In Hebrew, Jesus is the same as Joshua. In the Old Testament, Joshua is a biblical character that led imperfectly the Jewish people into the promised land, and now we see Jesus, he too is a deliverer, he too is bringing us somewhere, but he is going to be perfect. Where Joshua falls, Jesus is flawless. But he's leading us somewhere. And so Matthew is telling us the story of this common man, this common name of Jesus, but then in telling the story in the book of Matthew, he does something quite interesting as he introduces a different name to describe who Jesus is. And here's what Matthew says in Isaiah chapter, or Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Matthew says, Jesus is common, this is who he is, but also his name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So I want you to really get this. The story that Matthew tells is this, as you read it this week, as you read it this month, the story that Matthew tells is, this is not a story of you on your own, and you are in this story, but it's not your story. This is now a story that you're not orphaned, that you're not abandoned, that God isn't indifferent. No, wherever it is you're experiencing, God is experiencing because God is with us. In fact, so much, if you get all the way to the book at the end of Matthew, what does Jesus say? The end of the book of Matthew, what does he say? I will be with you always. The theme of the book of Matthew is God is with us. His name is common, but it is also altogether separate. It is Emmanuel, God with us. Not just a prophet, not just a prophet, but a perfect prophet, priest, and king God with us. This is the story of Matthew. And these three words frame the whole book. See, following Jesus, loved ones, is not a behavior modification program. Make no mistake about it. Oh, he'll touch your behavior. Turn the person beside you and say, I pray he touches yours. (laughs) He'll touch your behavior. 
Following Jesus will touch how you speak, how you see, how you think. Not that you have emotions, but what do you do with them? Are your emotions Lord or is Jesus Lord? You have them. Emotions are wonderful, wonderful things, but they are terrible leaders. My emotions have made me make some of the deepest regrets in my life or decisions that I now regret in my life. I didn't ask God to set me free of my emotions. I asked him to do the thing that he does with every part of my life, sanctify it and make it more like you. Don't like take them away. I don't want to be this numb person going through life like I feel nothing. That's what sin and darkness does to us, not our heavenly father. And for our lives to be really transformed, you need to fail. In fact, if you don't admit that you're a failure, you can't step an inch into the kingdom of God. It's a message that cuts across North American culture. It is a countercultural message. For our lives to be really transformed, we need to confront failure, what we can't do. And we tend to think of failure in terms of standards, which is good, but then also in the context of fairness, which isn't helpful. Like I was told growing up that I could be anything that I wanted to be. And I found out that that's a lie. Because like I applied for a lot of things. Like I want to work there. I want to I, I be a firefighter. And then I read on the Google machine, did you know that to be a firefighter, in 46 seconds, you have to be able to drag a 175-pound sled a total of 100 feet in 46 seconds. Not 47 seconds. 47, you fail. But I feel in my heart that I'm a firefighter. <laughs> Somebody's safety and rescue is more important than your feelings. So Jesus comes along and your rescue and safety is more important to him than your feelings. We aren't talking about a fire. We're talking about an eternal one. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And unless your righteousness exceeds that of those who are most ardent, you won't even step foot into the kingdom of God. So the question we're engaging today is when Jesus sets us up to fail, or I think a deeper question should be when he sets us up to fail, is he being unkind? Or is he showing us a more profound love, one that later somebody whose life is totally transformed, Paul, will write, it is actually his love is the only thing that will never, never fail. And during his sermon, Jesus answers this question by providing us 
with these contrasting options, and these options are not metaphors. They are ways that you and I are living in the world right now. They are how we are thinking about things, they're how we're processing things, and they are how we are living in the world today, and Jesus talks to you and I about our direction by saying, enter by the narrow gate. I love Jesus that he doesn't bury the fine print. He is right up front. If you want broad and easy, this is not the way. If you just wanna do what you feel and you wanna treat everyone how you wanna treat them, if you wanna just, just kind of like live and let live, this is not the way. But if you want a life of fulfillment, if you want a life of holiness, if you want a life of joy, if you wanna live the life the way the creator intended, it's narrow. It's narrow. So enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so following Jesus is a direction that begins with a decision. And there are some of you today who can name your, kind of like your spiritual birthday, the day you surrendered your life to Christ. It's like September 10th. You know, 2004 on this day, and you know what? That is amazing. To God be the glory. And there are others of you that go like, I have no idea the actual day. All I know is I became curious, and the next thing you knew, I found myself day in, week in, inch in, kilometer in, becoming a follower of Jesus. Here's what I would say. To God be the glory. He can do either. Oh, there must be a day. I celebrate that there's a day for you. And I know that God knows the day for them. But it's not important that they know it. It's more important that God knows it. So following Jesus is a direction which begins with a decision. And then it kind of keeps going. Jesus takes it from this decision. And the decision is narrow or broad. And then he takes it deeper. Beware of false prophets. Pause. Prophets are not only religious, they can be secular too. There are a lot of secular prophets today, and if you pay attention, what they are saying is, this is the way to live and experience and do life. Beware of false, oh, there's lots of religious fakes, false prophets too, sure, and I hope I'm not one. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, for you will recognize them by their fruits, plural. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, figs from thistles, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree, everybody say every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits, not their words. Following Jesus is a decision, yeah, but it's also a direction that shows up in our daily agenda. And I want to do something as your pastor in love, and I pray you receive it in love, and I pray you hear me with both ears and your whole heart. If you say these words, like, well, I don't have time to read my Bible, I don't have time to pray, I don't have time to do spiritual disciplines, I don't have time to do this, you have another Lord in your life other than Jesus. Because they are leading you not in the way of Jesus. They are leading you to the place where your salvation may be secure, but your soul is becoming anemic and sick. 
you just have another Lord. They're not called Lord, they're called something else. You can have a hobby that becomes a Lord. So don't talk about that on NFL kickoff Sunday. Don't you dare talk about that on NFL. <laughs> every, every person who doesn't like NFL is like, mm-hmm, that's right, don't do that, that's self-righteousness. You're allowed to have hobbies. Turn the person beside you and say, I'm allowed to have a hobby. He's just saying it can't become Lord and you're not Lord who tells me it's Lord. Great, now we have two issues. So following Jesus is a decision, yeah, but it's also a direction that shows up in our daily decisions, shows up in our daily agenda. And then Jesus says something utterly terrifying. In his Sermon on the Mount, he says in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, now pull it together. Many who heard his words but kept taking the broad way. That's the many, same word. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? There will be no other God for me. We as followers of Christ can take the name of Jesus in vain when we use it as a hammer over others and things that we don't like in their lives and we excuse where it needs to be applied in our own. And Jesus is saying to them, he says, I'll, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of, what's the word, by the way? It's lawlessness. So following Jesus is not merely outwardly doing spiritual things. It is allowing the Holy Spirit to go deeper into places that God needs to transform me desperately and maybe a little bit in you. Jesus' final story in the Sermon on the Mount holds the most significant insight and turn the person beside you and say, is it gonna get hopeful? <laughs> right here is where it starts to get hopeful, okay? Why might Jesus allow you to fail? From love, why may he allow you to fail? Because for Jesus, there are two different definitions of failure. There's what we think is failure, and it is. And here's the beautiful promise. I've, how many of you have known failure? Can I see your hands, please? I've known failure. I've known personal failure. I thought I could withstand this, and I fell. I've known relational failure. I've known the failure of a dream told the story before. When my teacher was handing out applications to university in high school, she didn't give them to two students, me and another classmate, because she said you didn't have the intellectual capacity to go. No, don't, no, no. I wasn't trying at all in the class. Her read was not dead wrong. I think, I think she was just being honest. I still don't think she should have done it, but she wasn't entirely wrong. Don't like paint her as a bad person. I was a really, really bad student in her class, okay? I had no interest in learning what it is that she was teaching, but in high school, I just had to go. <laughs> but I, I, it did sting, for sure. I've had dreams where I thought this, and I missed the mark there. And here's what the book of Matthew is. Is in your disappointments, God is with you. This is Matthew. 
but there are different places of failure according to God. So what's God's definition of failure? It's this, for Jesus succeeding at all the wrong things in life is his definition of a great fall. Of gaining the whole world, he will say, but in the process of it, losing your soul. Seeing life for what you can get, not life in terms of what I can give. For Jesus, there are places of failure where in love he leads us in that place to look up and to realize I may need a different savior. Maybe I can't save myself at all. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone, and he is speaking to disciples, to Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, teachers of the law, and religiously curiously people, or Jewish curious people, wondering if he's the Messiah. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And if he was telling a normal parable, he would have just stopped there, an earthly parable. But he's not. What does he say? And great was the fall of it. You see, a fall is another word for failure. And if you build your house and a storm comes and it falls, it shows you that you've built something foolish or you've built in a foolish manner, that there was a different way to do that. But Jesus strives that there is a great fall. Everyone say a great fall. See, a fall or failure is losing an earthly thing. And again, make no mistake, God cares. He is with us. But a great fall is a loss that comes with living and succeeding at all the wrong things and not recognizing until it is too late that I have built my life on sand. When is the time to study for the exam, before or after? Before. Some of you are like, if you don't know the answer, you didn't do well. <laughs> if you didn't know the answer, you are my people. <laughs> when they give the test to you again, that's called grace. But what Jesus is driving at is how great a fall it is to be standing in front of the Father and to realize you built your life on sand. It is this warning that, yeah, I am with you, but I am here to do a work so that you can be with your Father and not depart from. See, loved ones, the gospel that you're going to read about in the book of Matthew is not writ in human accomplishment, it is not what we do, but what Christ alone has done for us. And then in Christ alone, by the power of a spirit, the spirit, we align to where God is at work in us. You see, following Jesus starts from finished, and then it works its way 
to fulfill in our lives. And that day until this day, no one listening to Jesus' sermon had a righteousness that exceeded the scribes and the Pharisees, dot, 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 except the one giving the sermon. And this is the hope and the good news that Jesus is saying to the entire crowd, stop looking at each other in their context. Stop looking just at Rome. Stop looking at your religious leaders. Look to me. I am writing a new story in humanity, one that is not about you. It is about what I can do for you. And to become a part of the fellowship of followers of Jesus, you must first embrace the fellowship of failure, that you cannot in your strength be good enough, wise enough, rich enough, smart enough, kind enough, compassionate enough to actually erase your sins. There is one, and it is Christ alone, God with us, that we are never alone again. Let's dig in to the book of Matthew together and become heart strong. Yeah. Matthew chapter 1 to 9, we're going to practice Sabbath and we're going to get into groups. Life Center, there is nothing to fear, even in failure. Why? Because God is with us. God is for us and he is good.